Amen. God bless you. Good to see you this morning. Remember, don't sit down till we read the scripture. Amen. I uh, want to echo what uh, Elder Ron said there. I, I talked with Johanna. She actually called me uh, right before I left uh, for church this morning and just said to ask me to give you her love uh, for your support, your messages, uh, your prayers. Uh, and she said, it's, you know, it's no kidding. She really has felt the strength of the Lord, you know, coming through you. And, your, and the love of God coming through you to her and for those that have checked on her and Alan uh, throughout this week, she just sends her love. Uh, and Man, she's doing great. And as a person that's been through it, I told my wife, I said, she's doing better than I did. Praise God. <laughs> uh, but uh, we are so thankful that she came through that well and uh, doing good and back home. And uh, I think Brother Allen, her husband's like I would be. Man, I, uh, he's been missing his wife. He wanted her back home. So, so uh, we're, we're so thankful for that. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bible, want to read with us First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15. I just want to read this one verse, and then we will let you be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Uh, John writes, and he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen. You can be seated. I, uh, thank you, Caleb. I grew up in church, and this is not a slam to the church I grew up in. It's just, I think a lot of people maybe grew up or heard this often in their uh, various churches. It's hard for me to recall any services where we were not asked by the leadership, uh, you know, how many, how many of you love God today or how many of you love the Lord? And, and of course, when they would ask that, every hand would go up. Uh, and, uh, but we were never asked this question. We were never asked, how many of you know for a fact that you're loved by God? Uh, I don't think we would have had as many hands to go up. In fact, I've done that in churches in various places, and I've not got the same amount of hands that went up. It's when I ask how many of you love God, every hand seemingly goes up. And if you ask how many of you know, no kidding, no doubt, that you are absolutely, 100% loved by God, you won't see that many hands go up. Uh, because people are trying to be honest, they're sitting in church, and they don't really feel loved by God. Or they don't feel like that God could actually love them because they know them better than anybody else knows them other than God. When I was a little boy and first started attending a church, when the lady across the street from where we lived as kids asked us to attend Sunday school at her church and our family was not going to church anywhere and I was 12 and my brother was 10, we would ride with her to church. And the first thing that we learned and the first song that I remember learning was Jesus Loves Me. This I know. In fact, I remember being paraded out in front of the church singing that song in front of the congregation. How many remembers that? Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? There you go. For the Bible tells me so. But that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, that was great to get that ingrained in us. Jesus loves me. And this I know. But today it's Jesus loves me, this we don't know. The church really doesn't know that. And, and when I would hear this verse, you know, that I read in your hearing today quoted, or rather should I say misquoted, they would always say that our problem today is that we just simply don't, as people, Christians or whatever, we just simply don't love God enough. And if we loved God more, uh, we wouldn't have all the worldliness that we have in the church and the problems that we have. We just need to love God more. So it was an admonition for you to try harder you just need to love God more. But if you look at me with this verse again, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of, everybody say of. of. See, they misquoted it. It's the love of the Father right. is not in him. It's not the love for the Father. Big difference. Big difference. And so what this verse is saying is that the reason that we yield ourselves to worldliness, to temptation or whatever, is that we lack the revelation of how much God really loves us. Now, you would think, listening to the songs, the three songs that were sung by the praise team, that we got together on this. I assure you, we did not. 
You did good to me, sugar. <laughs> you ride in the spirit with me here. And the Lord's, you know, this is the theme of it. Every song they sung was about how much God loves us. We ended with that. You know, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And so that's exactly what I'm talking about today is, is how much he loves us. And, and, and that's what this verse says. It says that the reason that we yield ourselves to the world and that we love the world is because that we don't have that understanding or revelation, I like to call it, of how much that God loves us. And we're just really told to, you know, try harder, to love God more. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and 19, the same apostle, he makes this statement. He says, we love him because he first loved us. Now, see, what that verse tells me is that we are incapable of loving him before we received his love for us. You just can't do it. Uh, the direction of love is not us trying to get God to love us. The Bible said the direction of love is from heaven towards earth. It's not earth towards heaven. God loved you while you were yet sinners. And, 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 and it's impossible for God to love you more than he does. There's not anything you can do to make God love you more. And you've heard this, but I don't know that we believe it. And there's not anything you can do to make God love you less. You understand God loved you the same as he does now when you were a sinner and now you're a Christian. He still doesn't, he doesn't love you any better. He doesn't love you anymore. Now, see, that doesn't make any sense to our humanistic mind because in our culture, you know, you do good, you get good. You know, you behave well, we love you more. You behave badly, we don't like you. God loves you all the time. He, he, he doesn't change. In him, there's, there, there's no shadow of turning. The, the direction of love is for God so loved, God so loved, that he, he didn't just love, he so loved. I always like that part. It didn't say for God loved the world. It said for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so we've got to understand that you're not trying to, to get God to like you. You're not trying to get God uh, to love you. And somebody may say, well, you know, is it, I mean, what's the deal? I mean, what, what, what's the point here? The point is that our focus has to be right. Our focus should be on God's love for us and not on our love for God. Because if you get those two wrong, you're going to be a messed up believer. And you're going to have a real hard time. And, and I, I don't want you to be like that I have experienced and lived, uh, you know, because somebody may be thinking right now, well, isn't there a verse in the New Testament that commands us to love God, Brother Dale? Uh, there is. Uh, but it's not, it's not a command for us to do today to keep in order that God would like you. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 36, what has happened here is the Bible says that Jesus has has really shut the mouth of the, of the Sadducees. He's, he's, they're not going to ask him any more questions, in other words. He's, they're done with it. And so when the Pharisees heard, it said that he had silenced the, the Sadducees, uh, then the Pharisees got, you know, we got this. So they send one of their lawyers. And I don't mean a lawyer like you think of a lawyer now. I mean a lawyer in terms of being an expert in the law of God. So this lawyer approaches Jesus, and the Bible says for the purpose of testing him. Now here is a human going to test God because Jesus was God in the flesh, right? So he says to him, he says, Teacher, what is, which is the great commandment in the law? Everybody say law. law. Now he's talking about the law of God, the law of God. And when we say the law of God, we're not talking about just the Ten Commandments. We're talking about all the laws that God had given to Moses. Jesus answers and says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. He says the first and it's the great commandment. Now he goes on and says the second commandment's like that, in that, that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says on, on, on these two commands hinge or hang all of the law and the prophets. In other words, he said this, the, obeying these two encompasses the heart of the law. And, and so I was told by preaching when I was a, a you know, young Christian that this was the command and so that we should, we were commanded to love God. So I would try to love God. I would try to obey that command. And, and I'm not kidding with this. I, I'm telling you, I spent a decade, a decade 
making this, Matthew 22, 36, 37, my daily petition to God. Uh, I, I would suspect there was hardly any day in that decade that I did not begin my prayer or end my prayer include this prayer and I would quote this Matthew twenty two thirty seven, and I would say, Lord, you commanded us to love you with all our heart, with all our, with all our soul, with all our mind or strength, one translation says. And so I pray that you would enable me to obey this command. And I would make that my serious prayer. And I would, I would pray and I would say, God, you know, increase my capacity to love you. And I want to love you. And I want to, because I felt like all of my problems could be solved if I simply loved God more than I did. Have you ever prayed to love God more? Do you feel like you love God enough? Are you satisfied at where you are? You see, if you've ever prayed to love God more, that proved, that's your proof that you felt like you're failing in that area. Right? And, and so I, I would spend, you know, I mean, years praying that God would do this because that's what I was preached. And what I didn't realize is I missed that little word law. What is the greatest commandment in the law? So really, literally what I was praying and asking God was to make me a law keeper. I was focusing on what? Not on him, but on the law. And I was trying to obey the law. And I made the law, obedience to the law, my goal and not my love for him. And it became very legalistic. And I want to tell you, it didn't produce any fruit. And God didn't answer that prayer. And I wasted 10 years or more in a vain prayer because it's impossible for man to keep the law because that's why he sent Jesus who fulfilled the law on our behalf and credited that law keeping to us. Is that what the Bible says? What Romans teaches us? And so Jesus did not give this command here for us to keep it today. He was asked a question about the law and he answered it. And he answered it. And so what you got to understand was say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with, with me wanting to love God? more? There's nothing wrong with wanting to love God more, but our approach to how that happens is what's critical. If you get this wrong, then, then you're going to miss God. See, what this boils down to is a difference right here between law and grace. And our love for God is not something that you can just initiate or just try. I mean, you can't command anybody to love you. Can you imagine the power if you could just do that? I command you, woman, to love me. <laughs> that doesn't work. You can't command people to love you. How do people love you? When you show forth love towards them unconditionally, no strings attached, then they reciprocate that love back to you. In other words, they, they, they give what they have received. Right? And, and, and see, we've, we've heard all these sermons over the years. You know, you've left your, you know, you, 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 you lost your first love is really how it's mostly preached. You've lost your first love. You've got to get back to your first love. How many ever heard a preacher tell you, you've got to get back to your first love? And, and, and what they are saying, and, and I'm not saying they're meaning diabolical. I used to do the same thing. All I'm saying is what they're saying is that your first love is your love for God. And they take a verse out of Revelation out of context and they try to use that to kind of whoop on you a little bit. And, that you know, your problem is that you've, you know, it's a lot of times they'll preach and say you've lost your first love. It's not what the Bible ever says. In Revelation, it says to the church that God's speaking to, he says they had left, left their first love. It didn't mean you lost it because you can't lose what you don't, what you don't have. You understand what I'm saying? The, 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 when they left their first love. The first love We've already explained it to you. We love him because he first loved us. So what really is the first love? It's God's love to you. And you can't lose it because it doesn't originate with you. You can leave it. In other words, you can leave, not that God stops loving you, but you can leave your, your, your ability to enjoy that first love, that, that revelation. Now, you, uh, I, I want you to see something. It, it says, if... In this, 1 John 4 and 10, this same apostle, now there's a theme here that I'm going to close with here in a second, but he says that in this is love. Now, what we hear a lot of times in the churches, we'll hear, well, the Bible defines love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the love chapter. How many ever heard that? And, it's, and it says things in there like love is patient, love is kind, depending on the translation. Love is not haughty. 
Love is not puffed up. Love doesn't keep any record of wrong and all that kind of stuff. But, but listen, that's not a definition of love. That's characteristics of love. Are you with me? So that's what love looks like in action. That's characteristics of love. But the Bible defines love. Now you've heard this. God is, that's your definition. God is love. So what is the definition of love? God. But, but John said that I want you to understand how that love is expressed. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. John says this. He says, in this is love. And then he defines that. He says, not that we loved God. It ain't about you and me. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means the satisfying sacrifice. And so, so the Bible says this is love, not that we loved him. And so what happened to John is John received a revelation that we and people so desperately need today. John had come into the revelation of God's grace. Everybody say grace. And, and not that we loved him, that's the law, but that he loved us, that's grace. And, and so what, what you got to understand, that Jesus, when he lived on this earth, he lived in the revelation that he was loved by his father and that his father loved him and he spoke that love to him, remember, audibly at his baptism service. He said, this is my beloved son. You are my beloved son. And, and the word is, you know, not to have a place, it's, it's the word itself, be loved. Do you be in this building right now? <laughs> but it's a, it's a present tense thing. To be loved is, is a present tense continuum that doesn't cease. You're beloved. You will always be loved. You are not just loved, but you're beloved. You're the beloved. You be loved by God consistently, constantly, unconditionally, regardless of your behavior. I'm not encouraging bad behavior, bad behavior, but I am saying that that does not have any effect on God who is love. God don't love you because you've done lovable things. God loves you because he can't help himself because he is love. God does not have love. God is love. Amen? And so, so when, when I'm telling you now, when you really get this, because this guy that we're, this, we're reading out of his epistle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, John. But John didn't start out all Mr. Love Man. Don't forget that, listen, John was the guy that went to, to set up a city for Jesus to arrive and preach, remember? And, and, and so they kicked him out and said, we don't want him to come to our town. So they're waiting at the city limits and Jesus comes up and, and, and John is the one that says, let's burn this place to the ground. Shall we call down fire like the prophet Elijah and let's just burn them to the ground? That'll show them that they should have let you preached here. <laughs> let's turn them into charcoal briquettes here and let's just, you know, burn them to the ground. Then the next town will let us in, I bet you. That come out of his mouth. Remember Jesus said to John, he said, bro, man, you don't know what spirit you're in. It's a bad attitude. We'll just go to another town. No biggie. That's why we'll have to kill everybody. <laughs> he said, I, I came to save men's lives, not to destroy it. Man, you don't even know. You're talking from a different kingdom here. Man, you got really ticked off about this, didn't you, bro? You want to burn the place to the ground. See, he didn't start out as a disciple that just full of love and love ever. No, he was, uh-uh. You remember his brother, James and John? Remember them guys? And let me tell you how the church does everything. The church kind of Christianizes stuff. But Jesus said that these are sons of Barnogius or sons of thunder, it means. He said, you, you guys are sons of thunder. Now, the church sees that like these are thunder prophets or thunder apostles, and they're just thundering the gospel. No, that was a cut. Jesus was not being, you know, uh, complimentary when he told them that you're, you're sons of thunder. It actually, the word thunder means chaos. He says, you guys make noise everywhere you go. That's y'all's reputation. You are troublemakers. You guys are loud. These guys were fishermen. Not that all fishermen are bad now. 
But these guys were Galilean, which Jews didn't have much respect for the Galilee. on the sea of Galilee. They were rough. You ever been to a port city? Port towns, I mean, don't go down to the dock, you know, start popping off at the mouth. You know, you might be sleeping with the fishes. You know, these guys don't play. This was James and John. These guys were rough. These guys were rough guys. He said, you're sons of thunder. You cause trouble everywhere you go. A little bit different view of it, isn't it? But, the, but over the process of time, John's heart began to change. You know what changed John's heart? Was he began, listen, to get a revelation of how much that God loved him. We got people sitting in churches all over that don't have the revelation that they're loved by God. They're trying to love God themselves. And you know what? And it really stinks because deep down in their heart of hearts, when the lights go off and their head's on the pillow, they know they don't love, they, they don't love God like that. They don't love church. That's why you got some people don't even come to church. Because to, to come to church, you got to love God. There's got to be some love for God there. This ain't some perfunctual something you just do out of you know, you know, law. You know? Love God. You want to love what God loves. And so John starts getting it. It's slow. It's slow. But he starts getting it. And I'll tell you where he really got it. And I, because I, I, I can go faster if I don't have to just flip every verse and just, you know, didactically prove everything to you here. But in John 19, out of all the disciples that Jesus had, of course, Judas had hung himself at this point, so he's got 11 left. And nobody shows up at the cross of those apostles but one guy. And in John chapter 19, uh, we got this apostle who shows up. And, um, and it's in verse 26. And in John 19, 26, uh, John makes a statement. Now, you've got to understand that John himself is, is the author of the book of John. It's not hard. He's writing it. Yes, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Men wrote the word of God as, as the Holy Spirit breathed or moved upon them. Is that what it says? But yet there's liberty allowed, I see, in the sense that John, who is the author of the book of John and who is the author of the first epistle of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, which all those epistles, 1 uh, John, 2 John, and, third, and the epistle 3 John, all focus on the revelation of God's love. And who is it that got the book of Revelation? Last book of the New Testament is the Revelation. It is not the revelation of the end times or eschatology or the Antichrist. Verse 1, chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. It's not the book of Revelations. There's only one revelation in that book. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the divine. That's what verse 1 says. And, and so John got that revelation. And, and, and so it, it, it dramatically changed his life. Now let's go back just for a second to the Last Supper. And we're at the Last Supper and we got everybody there, all 12 apostles. And they're, they're, they're doing the Passover. Um, and so in that setting, it was not like Michelangelo painting of the Last Supper. That image, throw it out, totally wrong. That's what happens when a non-Jewish person paints a picture about the Last Supper. They don't, they don't understand Jewish ways. But how they were, act, they were not all seated on one side of the table posing for the portrait. They were not seated at a table at all. They were seated on the floor, on a rug, in a circle. And they had the bowl in the center. And they were reclining as the, as the Jewish men did. And they could reach into the center and partake of whatever was being served. That's what they were doing. But they, they were, you know, Jesus did have people sitting by him. Now, if you read the Bible closely, on one side of him is seated John, or reclining by him. Actually, it says that John had his head leaning on the breast of Jesus. Kind of a weird deal for a man, right, to be leaning on the other guy. But the reason he was so affectionate towards Jesus that night is because he sensed what was going on. And 
he, would, he had already gotten that revelation, really, that God loved him. The other guys hadn't gotten it yet, particularly Peter. Now, on the other side, you know, we got John leaning on the breast of Jesus, so we know where he's, he's at. On the other side, we have Judas Iscariot. See, everybody that always sits by you don't like you. But Judas is there, and the reason we know Judas is there because when Jesus says something, he just turns to him, it says. And he says, that that you're about to do, go do it quickly. And, and it says no other apostle heard that. So that tells me he was sitting right there, and Jesus just said it in his ear. Now, there was something that Jesus had said that had troubled all of them. He said, he said all of you this night shall scatter from me. But then he later said, one of you shall betray me. Now, the Jewish mind, when that's said to them, they don't think like most of us Americans. I don't mean this offensive, but if we were sitting in a circle, most people would say when somebody, if a leader said, one of you shall betray me, they would, they, your mind would go, I bet it's this dude over here. He looks, he reminds a little beady. I believe it's that guy. They would start immediately thinking, they would, their, their premise would be, it's not them. And it's got to be one of these other knuckleheads in here, you know. That'd be the American way of doing it. But the Jewish Hebraic mind doesn't work like that. So when the Lord says, one of you shall betray me, this is what they said, is it I? Is it I, Lord? Is it me? That's very humbling. Is it me? And uh, Jesus says, it is he who I give the sop to. But he didn't say that out loud where they all heard it. That would kind of been maybe, you know, that had been devastating or embarrassing to Judas. And so they know that Jesus knows because he's already said one of you shall betray me. Now there's a difference in everybody scattering and leaving him and betraying him, right? You ever had somebody, you, you've had people just leave you relationship-wise or whatever, but then to betray you, that's, that's a whole nother level, <laughs> right? And uh, so what they want to know. So listen to me. I want you to, don't miss this little nuance here. So there's a guy there, there named Peter. Now Peter, what, listen here. Watch this. We've got an example here of two totally different Christian perspectives. We've got an example here of law versus grace. We've got two different Christians. One who always is boasting in the fact that he loves God. And we've got another who has come into the revelation that he is loved by God. One of them is named John, and the first one is named Peter. Peter is the one boasting in his ability to hang in there. Remember, Jesus said, I'll go to Jerusalem and I'll die. You know, and Peter said, I'll, I'll die with you. And Jesus, Jesus said, all you be scattered from me this night. And Peter said, they might leave you, this bunch here, but I never will. Is that what he said? He said, I'll never do it. Jesus looks at him and then says, for the rooster crows in the morning, Twice you'll be done denied you even know me. But I've prayed for you, Peter. And when you are recovered, when you are restored, he said, strengthen the brethren. Man, a lot happened that night. A lot was said at that table. Now, Peter, before that, Peter wants to know who it is. So you know what he does? Now, listen to me. This shows you that he sees a little bit distance in the relationship that Peter had with Jesus, and he sees that John has a better relationship. That's what he perceives. So this is what he says. John, you ask him who it is. He'll tell you. See, he didn't feel like he could ask the Lord. See, we got Christians that don't feel like they can pray certain prayers to God. They feel like they got to go get the other Christian that's close to the Lord to pray it for them. They don't feel like they can get God to answer their prayer for healing or answer their prayer for blessing or increase or whatever they need. They, they feel like they got to get the super guy to pray for them, super lady. See, that reveals a messed up relationship that you perceive wrongly about how you're loved by God. See, because if you thought you were totally loved by God without any conditions or any strings, anything, you would boldly come into the throne room of grace and make your petition known unto the Lord. But because you feel like that you've not done everything properly and you've not behaved properly and you've done this or done that, that God for some reason, you know, doesn't like you as much as he does this person. 
I know people don't mean anything by this. They, some do. They don't understand it. You know, and I see posts on Facebook, well, this person is a godly person, or I want to give praise to a godly mother or a godly father. And there's nothing wrong with that. But how do you become godly is the issue. What they mean is this person has lived godly, therefore they're godly. That's not how you get godly. Godliness, which is just another term for holiness, is a gift. The book of Ephesians says that. You were created in true righteousness and true holiness when you were born again. It was not something you achieved. It was something you received when you were born again. And you're godly not by behavior, but you're godly because God gives his godliness to you. See, grace is big time different than religious law. So now Peter says, John, you ask him. So, so John asked him, you know, he's, he's sitting right by him. He you know, whispers in his ear, no doubt, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Jesus whispers back to John and says, the one that I give this sop to. And he takes the bread, which was real hard bread. Uh, you know, they, they eat really hard bread, and they would dip it into a, uh, you know, something to soften it. And he dips it into the olive oil probably or whatever, and he hands it to Judas. And then John knew. John knew who it was. And then Jesus leans over to Judas and says, that that you're about to do, do it quickly. And so then Judas excuses himself and goes down the stairs and out into the night. Now he takes the other disciples and right before they leave the upper room, they sing a hymn together. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Jesus leads them in a hymn and they go out into the cool night air and he leads them where they had been many times for prayer at Gethsemane, the garden. See, the first time this thing went down, it went down in a garden with a man named Adam. And it didn't go good for humanity. But the last time this thing went down, it went down in the garden with the last Adam named Jesus. And Satan did not win. What happens is that Jesus, of course, is arrested and he's crucified. Now, the disciples did exactly what Jesus said. Listen to me, including John. When he got arrested, they all scattered. They all forsook him. They all abandoned him. All of them. All, all of them. John included. I want you to, I don't miss that because it's important. Now listen. But when it comes to time to be crucified, in other words, if your rabbi, your teacher, your leader is being crucified, then if you're one of his chosen apostles, that means you very likely will be next. So don't, don't kid yourself. This wasn't some little event that you just go lollygagging up to. So no doubt, and have some mercy on the disciples, they are hiding for fear of their own lives. They are shocked that he was crucified, really. They just didn't get it. And the Bible says they didn't until after the resurrection. But one disciple, one apostle, breaks through that fear and now is standing at the foot of the cross with the women. You know who's tough and strong? Them women, buddy. And it names them. It says it was Mary, the mother of Jesus. You can do what you want to, but that's her son hanging up there. Mary Cleopolis was also standing there. And you had other women standing there who were concerned about Mary, and they were standing supporting her as her son that she raised, that she carried in her womb, was being tortured and murdered before her eyes. His visage was so marred and mangled that it said that he was not even recognizable as a human being. And his mother stood there, refusing to go, refusing to leave. Jesus is hanging on the cross, able to speak, and when he sees John come up and stand by his mother, he says, and this is how John wrote it, Jesus said, and to the disciple whom the Lord loved... That's the first time in the New Testament we see that phrase. And John will use that phrase beginning in that first use in John 19 and 26. He will use it five total times, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he refers to himself throughout the conclusion of the book of John as the disciple whom the Lord loved. When they're out fishing in the boat and Peter is backslidden and about giving up, it says, and the disciple whom the Lord loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, why does he refer to himself? He, listen, listen to me. His whole identity as a Christian shifted. 
I, he, he, John is saying, I am no longer a person who is trying to love God. Peter boasted how in his love for God, his commitment to God, his dedication to God, his consecration to God, and he would not fail him, yet it failed him miserably. Why? Because he was depending on the law. Peter, Petrol, stone, unmovable, unflexible, is a type and a shadow of the law. It won't sustain you and it won't bring you what you wanted it to bring. But John, his name means Jehovah has graced or Jehovah has favored. John is a type of grace. So we see the law, Peter, and we see grace, John. One of them boasts in their ability to love God and be faithful and whatever, and I'd never do that, and I'd never do that. And, 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 it, and, he, and he can't even admit to a teenage girl by a fire he even knows Jesus. So much for the strength of the law. But John boasts in one thing. I'm a disciple that the Lord loves. So when somebody asks you, who are you? I'm a disciple that the Lord loves. My identity is not in me loving him. My identity now has shifted and I am a disciple that the Lord loves. And I will tell you, that revelation will change you. See, when Jesus got pronounced that you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, the first attack that Satan put on him was in the wilderness. And I read that story so many years and so many times and I missed something that was so important. And the reason I missed it because I was still so in, you know, uh, influenced by the law and trying to obey and keep the commands and love the Lord and all that. And, and what I missed was one little word in the confrontation and in, in verbiage between Satan and Jesus. First thing that, that Satan's going to do, and his primary attack with you is this. Listen, it's always this. It's always twofold. Number one, he will attack you in, in your belief that you are a son or daughter of God. If he can dislodge you, that you're not even, a, you're not even saved. You're not even a son or daughter. He will always attack you with your birth, that you've not been born again. That's why you cussed out that lady. That's why you did this. That's why you committed that adultery. That's why, you, because you're not even saved. A saved person wasn't I done that. And if he can uproot you from that, he's accomplished what he desired to do. And the second thing, first one is your identity as a, just being born again. The second thing is that God loves you. He will make you doubt that God loves you. And so, when, listen, listen, when Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness, this is what he said. If you are the son of God, then command these stones. If you are the Son of God. That's how he began every temptation. If you are the Son of God. And I missed it for years and, and I missed what he left out. He left out one word. You know, Satan, what did God say at the baptism? This is my beloved Son. But when Satan repeated it back, if you are, why didn't he say, if you are the beloved Son of God? Because Satan knows that only people who who, in other words, people that doubt that they are loved by God, those are the ones that you can tempt. Those are the ones that you can offer the world to them and they'll accept it because they don't know that they're loved by God. But when you know you're loved by God, you're not a target for temptation. That's why he never even introduced the word into the, in the question. Why didn't he say if you are the beloved son of God? Because it would have been a reminder that you are beloved. So you're not just a son or a daughter of God. You're a beloved son or daughter. And if you actually know that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, regardless of what you've done or hadn't done, that you are loved the same by God and he doesn't fluctuate up and down like men do, like people do, that you're loved absolutely unconditionally, then that will give you the strength to get back up again and keep on keeping on. The, the Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up again. You know why? Because he knows his righteousness was a gift. It wasn't something that he earned or achieved. If you think you've earned your righteousness, you won't get back up. You'll lay there and waller. You'll sleep with the hogs and eat with the... You, 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 your life will be a pig pen. But when you know you're loved by God, because God couldn't be dumb enough to love something that didn't have no value or worth or dignity, then that'll give you the strength to get out of that mess. You'll shake off those heavy bands. I just need the Lord to set me free. He already has. Whom the Son is set free, they're free indeed. You just don't believe you're free. 
Too many people have been trying to cast a demon out of you that you don't have. That's why it takes so long. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I've seen some weird stuff. You ain't got one. Your heart's not a duplex. You don't have the devil at one door and God at the other. You either, you, it's like being pregnant. You ain't half pregnant, little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you ain't. You're either born again or you ain't. You're either saved or you're lost. Amen? And so what you see is Jesus lived in that revelation and he conducted his ministry in the revelation that I'm loved by God. And that's why when people rejected him, when bad things happened, people tried to throw him off the brow of the cliff, all the things that happened, Jesus Jesus got his security from one place, I'm loved by God. No matter what y'all say, what y'all do, whether y'all accept me or not, I'm loved by God, that don't change, you know, goodbye, Alicia, whatever her name is. <laughs> I mean, I mean you, don't, you, you don't have to let that be your deal. We give people way too much power in our lives. Well, they don't like me. Well, they, I had, I've had, you know, one of the hardest things that I've ever had to learn, and I, and I don't say I've got it 100% down, but I, I always found it so confusing and so devastating for people just to hate my guts that didn't even know me. And I didn't never really get that until I got into ministry and started preaching and stuff like that. And oh, God, man, we went on television back when I pastored Cornerstone. We went on TV. I was on TV probably every Sunday for uh, probably eight years. We was on in Savannah. We was on in Atlanta. We was on in, in uh, Channel 10 out of Albany. And, and uh, used to be Channel 44 down here. I don't know what to call it now. I mean, we was on a lot of places for years. I started getting, I got death threats. I mean, we, there's several times. We had to have the police to come and be in service, you know. I mean, I had the police call me and say, there's a guy wanting to kill you. Just because I was a preacher. <laughs> Didn't like what I said. You'd get drunks to call in. They were so drunk they couldn't hardly even leave a message and they'd be wanting to straighten me out on my doctrine. <laughs> I mean, just weird stuff. Just weird stuff. You know, but Jesus said, you know, they hated me. They'll hate you. I mean, it's just, you know, but when you know that you're loved by God, when you, when you know what John got. And so John got that revelation. And standing at, you know, and I used to read that because the way it would say it in, in uh, John 19, it says, you know, that Jesus was on the cross. The, the women were all standing there. And, uh, and, and it said, and the disciple whom the Lord loved, this is how it's worded, standing at the cross. And I read that one day several decades ago, and it hit me. I just asked a question to Papa. Father, how can he stand when none of the rest of the apostles are there standing with him? What makes this guy different? I want to know how this apostle who forsook you just like the rest of them did, but this guy recovered rapidly and got it together and is standing at a place where it might cost him his very life. But I want to know what this what, what, I want to know what's different about this apostle. Is he just like a super dude, or why is it that he's standing and the rest of them are not? And God began to unpack and unveil and to reveal to me that John finally got it, and it's written right there in the book: the disciple whom the Lord loved. And how many times did I tell you he's referred to that of himself? Five. And for all the numerological people, five is the number of grace. So there's the grace of God. God is revealing that this is my grace, that you know that you're loved by me. And it totally changed John's life. John, you don't see John trying to burn down no more cities, cuss out no more people, hurt nobody. <laughs> and he gets the revelation of all revelation, the book of revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. God, God gives him that honor. Remember, he's the disciple that they tried to burn in oil, and he just wouldn't burn. <laughs> and so they banish him to the Isle of Patmos, remember? And he was there, but he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And what did he see? He saw the heavens opened. They didn't just open, they had been opened. When did the heavens open? At the baptism of Jesus. The Bible says that God ripped the heavens, literally. He ripped the heavens open. The prophet Isaiah used to cry out to God in prayer. In Isaiah 64 and 1, Oh God, that thou would rend the heavens and come down. Well, I want to tell you, God did rip the heavens apart, and God did come down in the form of his son.
Jesus Christ. And so I wish we would stop praying for open heavens in our churches today because the heavens are only closed between your ears. You do not live in a city that has a closed heaven over it. You do not operate in a county that has a, Brother Dale, you just don't know our county. I'll tell you, there's just a dark cloud in the spirit over our county. It's just a closed heaven. i tell you, you know, the, the earth is brass and the heavens is steel or something, whatever they, all them sayings they got. You know why they believe that? Because they heard somebody say it and it sounds religious and they repeat it. And they want to give an excuse to why their prayers haven't been answered or this and that. Or why, why. Listen, listen. the heavens are open because God opened them and nobody can close those heavens. So if you, listen, I don't care who you are, you walk, live, breathe, work under an open heaven. So now, I used, I used to be that guy trying to tear a hole in heaven. I used to have the praise team trying to rip a hole in it for me before I could preach. Man, and I, if I go to a worship service now and, and that's the mentality of the worship leaders, it makes me want to throw up. I mean, you can just feel the flesh and smell the sweat. And they are trying their hardest to press in and tear a hole in the heavens if not, they're already open. And they are so focused on trying to, you know, to principalities and powers. And I, you know, man, knock it off. Jesus brought down every principality and power, Colossians said. And I used to get caught up in all this stuff. It, 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 what, what drives us is what you believe. Right believing, right living. Wrong believing, wrong living. It's real easy. And, 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 and so th 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 I end with this. And I know this is real basic. But, man, people need to be reminded. And, people, and some people are listening. That's like, wow, first time I've heard that. Well, great. Like, great. You're loved by God. You are the beloved of God. You, you were loved by God when you was a sinner. And now that you're trying, you're still loved by God the same. And I, and I know we, you just have to accept that by faith. Now let me tell you what happened. You, you, you will grow in your love for God. You, you can grow in love. So I'm not saying you're like at one static place and that's it. And you don't, no, no, no. <clears throat> so, you, so yeah, I mean us loving God more, that, that would be a benefit and a plus in your life. But the key is, how do you get there? You don't get there by standing on your spiritual tippy toes, trying harder, gritting your teeth. I'm just going to love God more. You know, and then you, and, you know when people say that, I'm just going to love God more, watch them, watch them what happens right after that. Then they come up with the rules. I'm going to get up earlier, pray every day. I'm going to read more Bible. And, and here they go, law again. First thing they do, when you ask the average Christian, when you see them, I'm, I'm going to rededicate my life. I'm going to love God more. And then watch them. Here comes the list of rules they can do. I'm going to pray an hour a day. I'm going to fast once a week. I'm going to read five, five chapters a day. I'm going to, and they'll go about a week, and then they'll blow three to them. And then they're going to be in worse shape than it was before they started and have their rededication, you know, move. Knock it off, man. Just breathe that you're loved by God. And ask God to help you receive that revelation that John got. And if you feel like you're inadequate in it and you haven't gotten it, hey, it's okay. Just say, Father, help me to receive the revelation of your love for me. Help me, Lord. Help me to get it. How much that you love me. And listen, I won't promise you something. Once you start getting it, that, you know, that revelation as it begins to pour into your heart, that, that God's like, I love you, then you know what you do? You automatically love God more. And it's just a natural process. It's just a natural part. And, and, you, and you don't even realize it maybe, but you're growing in your love for God and in the volume of the world and worldliness, that just goes down automatic. Just goes down automatic. And, and, and that's how it happens. And, 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 and you know, and I've, I've had God so many times where, where, you know, my behavior has not been like, you know, something I was proud of maybe in, on one day, okay? Okay. Uh, but like, like that same day or the next day, this is where it would draw attention. That's just the way I'm wired. But, I mean, you know, I, as far as I judge me, I just blew it royally. Okay? And right on the heels of that, God would just bless my socks off with something. See, I used to be that preacher would fast every week. And, and, and I'd go, you know, I'd fast. And then, you know, because I had fasted, I felt really good. 
They're closer to the Lord. And so Sunday, I'm looking for God to you know, pull the pin and throw the grenade. I'm looking for the bomb to go off in the service. You know what I mean? I mean, for him to pour it out. And you'd go to service, and there'd be like half the people there, and it was like dead 3 o'clock in the morning, feel like. And you, you go like, man, you go, and then you get mad, you know, like, what, uh, what good did it do? To, and you, you start quoting some of that Old Testament law stuff. But when you, when you know you've blown it, and then right behind that, just God just pours out a blessing on you. And it's like it just draws my attention. I'm like, God, didn't you just see what I just did? What you doing just, because it ain't based on that. God, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the same towards you yesterday, your yesterdays, your today, and in the future. God will always be the same towards you. He has an unconditional love for you, and that will never change. And when you really get that, you won't be the guy like Peter denying God. Now, we may not verbally like Peter to that girl. I deny that I don't even know him. And Peter started calling down curses upon himself. Peter was like, whoa. You know, and uh, he starts doing all this stuff. But a lot of times, maybe, listen, we deny the Lord in what we do or what we don't do. We deny him. We deny that we know him. But when you realize that like John got, and, and maybe sometimes you just need to just do that, just something private between you and God. But maybe you need to stand in front of a mirror somewhere before you head out in the mornings and just look at yourself and go, you know what? Like Pastor preached last Sunday, I'm a disciple. That means I'm a learner. I'm still learning. But I am a disciple. I am a Christian. I am born again. And I'm a disciple that the Lord loves and so that'll have you standing at the cross or standing at the resurrection or standing wherever you need to stand. In other words, you won't be falling. You'll be standing. You'll be able to stand through COVID. You'll be able to stand through 2020. You'll be able to stand through 2021. You'll be able to stand. And the Bible says having done all to stand, just stand therefore. Stand. You got a reason to stand. Therefore, you got a reason to stand. So you just stand. What gives me the strength to stand? God's grace. What is God's grace? The revelation of that you are a disciple that the Lord loves. Was this worth anything to you today? Stand to your feet, give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. JT, would you be mad if I did something with you? Uh, I'm bad to put people on the spot. You know what you told me last Sunday and kind of encouraged me up here? Could you just share that with these people? With these guys, this family, uh, you know, lives down in uh, Panetta, Florida. His beautiful wife has a, she's a beautician, owns her own business in Lee, Florida. And I'm starting to learn a lot about them just following them on Facebook. So, um, and uh, I love all her posts. And I think you guys are building a new home, maybe right now. So we rejoice with you in that. And, and uh, but you know, and, and of course, y'all been seeing. Uh, and I guess you go by JT uh, and uh, up here, at, you know, on the guitar and, and uh, you know, Texas guy. Uh, whew, you know, that's my, all our families out west. <laughs> but I just, I just, you know, whatever's on your heart. Just introduce yourself, introduce your wife. All right. Well, uh, first of all, I love the fact that he called it a guitar. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, he's already told you all about me and my wife. And what I, what I came to tell Dale last week was I've been going to church my whole life since I've kindergarten. Back row of a Baptist church. I've worked in ministry. I've, I've been a professional musician for, for 20 years. Played a lot of churches, a lot of church gigs. And I've been to a lot of churches and I've heard a lot of pastors. And I just stopped going. I just stopped. Like this, I didn't. I was bored. I, no pastor had ever told me anything I hadn't already heard or read or, or you know, I've studied, I've done all this stuff. And Shannon and I, in the middle of uh, COVID, said we should start going to church again. But I just not sure. So she wrote, she went on to the uh, yellow pages online and said, started writing down churches. And so this was the first church that she wrote down. And we came that Sunday and we sat out there and went, there's nobody here. 
do we really want to go in? And we did. And we walked out of here going, he had me wanting to know the end of the story. And every week I come, Dale has me wanting to hear the, the rest of the story, the end of the story. It's stuff I've heard, but not from the perspective of Pastor Dale. And it's, I'm going, yes, yes. And her parents come with us on occasion. She's a student of the Bible, and she, she walks out here going, oh, my gosh. It's so in front of us. How come no one's taught us this? And it has just made a world of difference. It's made me remember that I have faith. That, you know, we forget. It's like, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to get up every morning. It's like, God loves me. That's all that matters. And, and it's, I always tell this story when I was in college. I had a pastor from California talk about Ecclesiastes, my favorite. My favorite. Everybody's like, it's a weird book to have your favorite. But he's like, he says, in everything you do, everything you do, ask God to bless it. No matter what it is. If you're going out partying, because I was in college, ask God to be a part of it. Find out, you'll find out really soon that if you're put God first in your life, no matter what, God will be God. And live life to the fullest. Enjoy this life. God put you here to enjoy it. Put him first in it, and you'll find how much God will be, be a part of your life. And that's, and I get that here. So thank you, Dale. Amen. You know, sometimes, I, of course, I've been doing this so long, and then like last Sunday he just came up, which is so encouraging to me, and I left feeling encouraged. You know, I, you know, I'm old enough, done this enough. I'm not looking for somebody to brag on me, but just to see that, you know, I mean, we, we got something valid to offer this world. Grace Point, this church, this ministry. And there's people that, have, you know, so much, you know, of this that have have not heard. And sometimes, you know, just to have a, a fresh person, a family, you know, come in and go, wow. Uh, you know, this is, this is ministering uh, to our hearts. And, man, I, I never get tired of the grace of God or talking about the grace of God. And, and you know, and it, and it doesn't matter, you know, like the man said, don't worry about how the sausage is made, just eat it. You know what I'm saying? But... But, uh, but you know, like, you know, go, well, why did you preach that today, you know? Uh, well, honestly, because two nights ago, I dreamed that I would preach this to you. I don't know, you know, I was either right or wrong. I took that as a sign from the Lord, well, just preach that. And then I get here, and every one of the songs that Demetria's got up, and so I'm sitting there just a regular guy going, well, yay, God. I guess you did want me to preach this today to these people that somebody, maybe everybody, needed to hear that we're disciples that the Lord loves, regardless. And when we really get that, like John got it, you're going to get a lot of revelation. You, you, you'll need to write your own book of revelation because God will begin to reveal more of himself to you, or shall I say you will see more of him than you've ever seen before. I had a guy in Amarillo, Texas, that one of my precious brothers, it was a family that was here just for a few months, uh, about a year ago over the summer, and and the message of grace they had never really heard changed his life. And, uh, and so he and I communicate. He's probably watching. Love you, brother. And, uh, but, you know, he had sent me a word here a while back. That, that, you know, and it was so encouraging to me that, that even me at this, where, whatever stage this is, you know, but God's going to reveal more of his heart to me. Um, you know, that's why you think about those angels, those cherubims that circled, the Bible says, the throne of heaven, the throne of God, and they're constantly going, you know, uh, you know, and they're just worshiping God. Blessed he who is, you know, come. And you would think after a while, you know, a couple of, you know, million years, they'd get tired of that. And, uh, and, and what I believe that every time they circle the throne of God, those cherubims, those four uh, headed creatures, you know, the face of a lion, the face of an eagle, an ox, and a man, and they just weird-looking, you know, angelic beings, and they're 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 glorifying God. Uh, they every time they circle the throne, they see an aspect, a facet of God that they've never seen before. God is unfathomable. His depth is unsearchable. You you, you know, you're, one thing I promise you, you won't be. 
you know, we, I grew up thinking heaven was going to be like an eternal retirement home. Everybody sitting around wearing bed sheets, eating marshmallows on the clouds kind of a deal. And to be honest, I wasn't really excited about going. It didn't sound like a place that I wanted to hang out. But what little glimpses that I believe that I've seen from God's word and God's revelation. One thing I assure you, none of us will be bored. None of us uh, will be bored. And uh, not in God's presence and in God's place. Amen. So I want to pray for you and let you go. Enjoy your Sunday. Father, we love you. We are loved by you. That is the greatest revelation of all. And Lord, I just say what your apostle John said. I am a disciple that the Lord loves. And I pray we leave with that revelation today and we grow in that revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.